0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In my ordination to the priesthood, the preacher, Brother Geoffrey Tristram from the Society of St. John the Evangelist, who's a friend and mentor of mine, told a story about John Constable, one of England's most famous painters. Constable was active in the 19th century and is known for painting gorgeous landscapes of the English countryside, particularly along the eastern coast in the county of Suffolk, which happens to border the county of Norfolk. Constable was a consummate artist, but also a family man. He married late, but he had seven children and adored them all, even becoming their primary caregiver after his wife died shortly after giving birth to their seven. Anyways, the story went like this. Constable was hosting an exhibition of paintings in his home. And although he's famous now, during his lifetime, John Constable was not very financially successful, so this exhibition was a big deal for him. Potentially lucrative, a chance to enhance his legacy. Critics and patrons were in town to see what he had in store, and the focal point of this exhibition was a very large painting hidden behind a curtain. At the end of the night, the moment came for the big reveal. constable came forward into the room, hushed in expectation, drew back the curtain to uncover his masterpiece. It was an uncomfortable moment. Silence. Because right through this beautiful canvas, from the top to the bottom, was a huge, irreparable tear. After a while, people shuffled out and leaving Constable with his ruined masterpiece. Eventually, He went and found his eldest son, John Charles, just a boy at the time. He brought him in, stood him before the torn canvas and said, John, did you do this? Yes, he confessed. Oh, my dear, my dear. And what shall we do to mend it? That's what Constable said to his son. What shall we do to mend it, my dear? After this transgression, this ruination of his important exhibition, this destruction of his hard work, not words of wrath, fury or indignation, no inquisition into why did you or how could you, but instead, what shall we do to mend it, my dear? Words of grace and mercy, words of love and tenderness, words of care and kindness, words so stunning that they were remembered and recounted in writing years later by a friend who witnessed the exchange. It's been a while since I first heard this story, but I have never forgotten it. For constable to have faced such disappointment and embarrassment and hurt, and yet to have responded so generously and gently, it left an indelible mark. And I couldn't help but think of this story this week as I sat with our gospel passage, a passage that in my opinion, is one of the most beautiful, most powerful in all of Scripture. It starts on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, back home, where it all began. The disciples, unsure exactly what to do with themselves now, return to what they know. Fishing. And as they labor in vain all night out on the water, a stranger appears, calling out to them to try the other side. And suddenly their nets are full, and they recognize that it is the Lord. They rush into shore where he has prepared breakfast, and they sit and they eat, just like old times. And then, Jesus turns to Simon Peter. Now, I'm sure that Peter was very excited that Jesus had come back, but I wonder, If he wasn't also a little bit worried. Remember, the last time we saw Jesus and Peter together, Peter was denying even knowing Jesus. Three times. As his best friend was being led to the slaughter, he was spitting out words of betrayal. Can you imagine the shame he must have been carrying? The guilt? The disgust? He must have felt at himself. Was he now going to have to answer for his words and deeds on that fateful Friday? When Jesus pulls him aside after that miraculous breakfast, Peter must have felt that pit of anxiety that knots up your stomach, making you sick. The kind of feeling you get when someone you love and admire but who you know you've let down knocks on the door and says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Shame, fear, guilt. How could he not have been carrying all of that with him? I could just see him, face flushed, palms sweaty, anxious, afraid. Here it comes. I imagine him saying, bracing for the impact. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times, Jesus asks. Three times, Peter answers, yes, Lord. You know I love you. By the third time, Peter catches on to what Jesus is doing. Three queries to balance out the three Denials, Three scrubs to wash away all the shame and the guilt and the self-loathing. Not words of wrath or fury or indignation or judgment. No, why did you or how could you? But instead, words of grace and mercy. Words of love and tenderness. These are heavenly words. Because they reveal a love so deep and so strong, it can weather even our most grievous mistakes. No matter how many times I read this passage, I'm always surprised by how much it gets me. Like the story of John Constable and his son, something about the level of mercy and of grace and the beauty in these words brings me to tears. Maybe that's because I know how I would have reacted if I were in Jesus' sandals. When I have been wronged, disappointed, hurt by others, when my hard work has been wasted or my hopes dashed, what rises up is anger, right? Fury. I want to spit fire at the person and make them feel as bad as they made me feel. I want to explode. And yet here we have the opposite of that. Instead of anger and aggression, words of love and mercy that I would find hard to locate in my heart, were I in their position. But I suspect the biggest reason these stories are so powerful to me is actually because I know even more keenly how it feels to be Peter or John Charles. Here are two people who have really messed up with disastrous results. I've been there. I've lived with that pit of shame in my stomach. It's an awful feeling done or said things I ought not to have done or said, disappointed people I care about, been laden with that guilt. And haven't we all, haven't we all, at some point, hurt those we love, failed our neighbor and our God? We have done things that deserved punishment. We have expected anger and retribution and fury, divine or otherwise. In those times, what voice did you expect to hear, right? A a voice of judgment, of retribution, a voice of anger and aggression? Probably. For that's so often how we would find ourselves wanting to respond. But in those times of error or sin, what voice did you long to hear? What voice did you need to hear? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Over and over again, as many times as it takes. That is the voice of Jesus. That is the divine voice, a voice that does not shun or shame or scold. A voice that seeks healing by offering mercy is the voice we long to hear when we know we have sinned and when we do it is a powerful thing powerful enough to change a life it certainly changed peter's life this beautiful scene on the sand heals that gaping wound that Peter must have carried and it is only from that place of healing and wholeness that he is finally able to undertake that which he has been given to do, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. And he will, courageously, until the end, though it cost him his life. The man who denied his friend to save himself becomes brave enough to follow, even though He knows where it will end. That is a changed man. That is a healed man. It's hard to say for sure if John Constable's gracious and beautiful words of mercy changed his son's life. But we do know that because of the way he responded in that critical moment, what could have been an irreparable tear in their relationship was not. Despite this destructive offense, John Charles and his father grew very, very close. He was the one there when his father died, rushing to his side to hear his final gasping breaths. And when his mourning was over and he returned to college, this boy become man and famously destroyed, one of his father's masterpieces filled his rooms with his dad's paintings and sketches. The painting was destroyed that day, but their relationship was not. They found a way to mend it, after all. It is stories like these that remind us, that show us what it really means to live in love as Christ loved us. With a love that is deeper than our hurt, with mercy that is wider than our anger, words of retribution and aggression, of judgment and punishment, these may feel like a powerful way to respond when we have been wronged, but they mend nothing, they heal nothing. They keep people trapped in their shame and their guilt and their fear. And you cannot really follow Jesus from a place of shame or guilt. You cannot do what will be asked of you if your motivation is fear or self-loathing. People need to be free in order to follow Christ. And freedom, freedom comes from healing and from wholeness. Jesus shows us what is possible when we find it in ourselves to choose love even when it is the last thing we want to do. If we can follow him with a love that deep, that strong, it's possible to change a life. Or at the very least, to mend one. Amen.